Thanks, Alicia. Well, if I haven't mentioned before, my name's David Smith, and let's, you know, let's do something fun as we get going here today. Not that the rest of the morning is going to be a drag, but nonetheless, here's what I'd love for you to do. Turn to anybody by you, could be the person you came with, and just share what is your favorite Christmas tradition. That's it. If you're online watching, do that at home, but just for one minute, turn and share what is your favorite Christmas tradition. Okay, I think your minute's almost up. Look at me. Pay attention to me, please. Here I am. Here's my favorite tradition. So, so I think for, for me, I could probably list a few, but the obvious one is that my favorite tradition is we get a chance to see family from both sides, my side, my wife's side, and that's not all that exciting. It's not like a favorite movie or something to eat or going to a certain place. But for a lot of us, I would imagine that's probably part of your tradition is every year you see these family members. And for some of them, it's immediate family. For some of you, it's extended family. It's people maybe that you rarely see, you barely know, and maybe you're a little embarrassed by them. Like you really aren't all that excited to be around them because they're just a little strange to say the least. We've all got some family like that, but they're still family, and it's important that we acknowledge them as such. Now, if you're new to North Star, what you may not know is that you've got some of this kind of family in Westchester, and what I'm referring to is our crazy cousins over at the Westchester campus. For most of you, you rarely see them, you barely know them, and yes, they are a bit embarrassing, and I want to show that to you. <laughs> in a video they did that was to promote a potluck they did. And they wrote the song to this video, in case you're wondering, and it's just like a minute long. And here's why I want to show it to you. It's because this is your family. And these are folks, this is the leadership team. And as they promote this, it gives you kind of a good sense of the heart of their campus, but also just highlights the strangeness of some of our family members over there. So let's watch this. casserole is where it's at yeah my homie rules are in a paper bag yeah just a Velveeta that was grandma's hack yeah take him to the chorus get your potluck on get here come eat with us get your potluck on get here come eat with us get your potluck on get here come eat with us get your potluck on so that's them that's your family <laughs> And actually, not only that's your leadership, that is Jimmy Hellyer, one of our elders, and that is Amy Lenhoff, 
one of the ladies on the women's advisory board. But let's go ahead and remove that clip for a quick second. <laughs> but that is your family. A little strange, but we are very proud of them. And here's what's happening is God is moving in a mighty way at the, at the North Star Westchester campus. One of the things that's been really exciting is that they are experiencing a diversity of race that in Loveland we've never even dreamed of. It's so exciting to see the kingdom come together like that over at their campus. Uh, they have also seen a lot of new work happen with the care center. They don't have a space designated for that, but they do it all on the road. When they go to the communities they serve, they've got a small little bus. People walk in there. They do get to know you meetings and start plugging people into the different ministries that we're already doing. Also, they had baptisms the other week. You'll see a few pictures behind me. And a lot of the leadership said that it was probably the most powerful Sunday they've ever had. You had people confessing their faith, repenting of sins, celebrating with friends and family. And the Lord just continues to add to the good things that are happening. Something else I love, you guys know that we're having prophetic prayer and communion tonight. But if you've never been, you will not regret coming out. And so we host those on a regular basis. Westchester has also started hosting prophetic prayer and communion on a regular basis. But what they do, instead of Sunday night, they trick everybody and they do it on Sunday morning and nobody has any idea that it's going to happen. So people just show up and they go, hey, today's prophetic prayer and communion. And that's just the kind of bravery and courage their leadership has. 70% of the men have gone through our Iron on Iron weekend retreat, and 60% of their church is in Pathway groups right now. And so we are just thrilled with all the things that God is doing through these strange, strange family members of ours. But this isn't the first time that God has worked through strange situations. If you open up to the Gospel of Luke in chapter 1, we find Mary going to visit some relatives of hers that at first seem a little strange. And the relative that she's going to visit is a woman named Elizabeth, who's about 75 years old at the time, we think, and is pregnant. So I know what you're thinking, that your family is different, and they may be. But let me ask you, is grandma pregnant? <laughs> she's not, is she, right? She's not, she's not pregnant. I didn't think so. But Mary is not one to judge. Because for Mary, strange, I love that you think I'm funny, Faith. Like, that's great. You just, you sit there with all the other friends in the front row. What is it with the front row? Do I, do I spit? Like, you guys are packed back there. And there's an entire row. Anyway. But Mary isn't one to judge strange situations because strange is becoming her reality. Because see, with Elizabeth, she's 75 year old preg and pregnant, but Mary is 14 years old and she's a pregnant virgin. Like I would love to be at the table with these two at Christmas dinner. Like reality TV, there's money to be made. There's a 75 year old and a 14 year old that's pregnant. This is a strange, strange, situation. But this is how the first Christian revival comes. Because after Elizabeth gives birth to John the Baptist, the, the forerunner who will lead in the Messiah, the, pave the way for Jesus, then Mary gives birth to her son. She gives birth to Jesus. And what happens in this moment is a spark is lit. And the spark is a quickening of God's movement. For 400 years, between Malachi and Matthew, the Old Testament and the New Testament, there has been prophetic silence. But now things are about to change. And the initial response to this spark 
wasn't multitudes of people worshiping Jesus. In fact, that would come later. The initial response to this spark is just a handful of individuals lifting their voice in a new song. Everything else would come a little later. And see, that's one of the things I love about the Christmas story is that God comes to earth with just a whisper of worship. Go read Luke chapter one. The chorus of conversions, all the chaos, all of that will come later. But at the very beginning, God comes with just this little whisper of worship, a handful of people singing a new song to the Lord. See, the ingredient of worship is everywhere in the nativity narrative. From a mute priest to an old prayer warrior, to even angels singing this new song to God. In fact, a new song is not just a suggestion God gives us. If you go look throughout the scriptures, Psalm 149, Psalm 96, 98, Revelation 14, just a few examples that we are actually commanded to sing a new song to the Lord. Not a suggestion, not an opinion, but it's actually a command. And so I wonder how many of us sitting here today or watching online you're ready to sing a new song over your life because you are so tired of singing those old songs. Those songs that say, nothing's ever gonna change. I'm never gonna be good enough. Why bother trying? Or my past is always gonna haunt me. I don't know about you, but I'm so tired. I am so tired of singing those old songs over and over again. For me, the number one old song that just repeats in my mind over and over again and is so damaging is the song of shame. And so about two months ago, we decided to replace the light bulbs above the bathroom mirror. If you've ever done that before, you probably know where this is heading. To try to figure out the right kind of light bulb is excruciating, at least to me. You've got color, you've got brightness, you've got size. I bought the wrong thing four times. <laughs> so I get back to Coles each time. And the shame, like you think I'm being funny here, but the shame is like, I'm not a man. I can't do anything around the house. I'm a joke. I have no idea what I'm doing. How can I possibly lead a church if I can't even get the right light bulbs? Like these are the kind of thoughts that are just wrecking havoc on me. And it's that song of shame. I'm a joke. I'm not good enough. And something as small as a purchase that didn't go well spirals me into that song. What's that old song you're so tired of hearing? As a leadership here at North Star, we know that the new song that God has for us is revival. But even though that's the new song, it's not one that we can create. In fact, we've shared in our last series, the only one who can spark revival is God. So therefore, our response is, how do we mix in these ingredients of revival into our world? He's the one that's got to spark it, but what can we do to get ourselves ready? And so during this Christmas series, we're going to hone in on one of these ingredients, the ingredient of worship, and ask ourselves, how can we go a little deeper into it? Not that we're trying to manipulate or start anything, but we're saying, God, we love you. You're the only one that can spark revival. But we are your servants, we are your sons, we are your daughters, and we come to you through worship. Not just so revival can come to others and sweep the land, but that revival can come to us 
personally and sweep our soul. If we want to experience the personal revival, I believe that God has for each and every one of us, there is a new song we have to start singing. And it is the same song that was sung by a pregnant teenage virgin over 2,000 years ago. We got to figure out what this new song is. Because for the old song to go, the new has to take its place. And so I wanna pray, we're gonna figure out exactly what that new song is. So Father, we love you. We thank you. I pray right now, would you take any agenda, any motive, any words that are from my flesh, just, just crucify them, get rid of them, Lord. Would you just speak directly through me that it's your words, your way, Father, your power, your presence that overwhelms us in this time. It's in your name we pray, amen. So let's go ahead and open up to Luke chapter one. After the birth of John the Baptist is foretold by the angel Gabriel, he has another assignment. And the next person on the list is to go visit Mary. And as the angel Gabriel goes to Mary, the first thing you have to know about their interaction is that Mary is engaged. Now she's only 14 years old. That was kind of common at that time. She was engaged to Joseph who could have been anywhere between 15, 16, 17 years old, not much older. And he says that he's from the line of David. Now, if you're new to the Bible and some of this stuff doesn't make sense, whenever you see line or house of King David, that is incredibly important. Because if you were a Jewish person, especially back in that time, reading Luke's account and you see house of David, what immediately would go through your mind is this might be talking about the Messiah. Because what every Jewish person understood is that the Messiah would come from that house. King David, his lineage would come the Messiah. So very important that that point is there. Luke has written to both Gentiles and Jews, so the Gentiles may not pick up on it as much, but a Jewish person would. Here's the interaction. Gabriel came to Mary and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying. And she tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him, to, give him the thrones of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. By the way, let's go back to verse 32. just popped in my, in my mind. In this point right here, it talks about the throne of his father David. There are other spots in the scripture where we'll talk about the thrones that are given. And the reason why is because Jesus and the Father are one. It's important for us to keep in mind as we walk through this. Jesus isn't just the secretary. He isn't just the servant. He is fully God in the flesh. Verse 34 Mary said to the angel, well, how will this be since I am a virgin? Now, if you're with us last weekend, you may start getting a little sweaty in this moment because you're thinking, oh gosh, Mary, don't ask that question. Remember what Cody talked about last weekend? What did Zachariah, the father of John the Baptist, ask when the angel Gabriel came to him? How will this be? And what happened to Gabriel? Uh, what happened to Zachariah? He became mute for nine months. And so if you're watching this unfold and you know what's just happened to Zachariah, you are panicking for your friend Mary and you're thinking to yourself, do not ask this question. I know how it's gonna go. Zachariah is still not speaking. Don't ask that question. But Mary asks the question and something different happens. Why does Zachariah get disciplined and Mary doesn't? Well, Zachariah, 
probably for his entire marriage, has been praying for Elizabeth to get pregnant. Just praying and praying, Lord, this is what we want more than anything. So then the angel Gabriel shows up and says, hey, you've been praying this prayer forever. I'm gonna answer your prayer. God is gonna give Elizabeth a child. That shouldn't be a huge shock. He's been praying it for decades. But Zechariah has a moment of disbelief. And that's where the discipline comes. Now, what I would imagine is that Mary has not spent years praying to become a pregnant teenage virgin. Like, that's not like on the bulletin board, like, Lord, please, I just, I'm gonna pray this every day. And so when the angel tells her this, can you imagine the confusion? Like, I didn't know this was possible. I haven't been asking for this. Who in the world would want this to happen to them? And so hers isn't so much a disbelief, but it's a curiosity. Wait, how can this be? I've never heard this before. I've never asked for this. What in the world is going on? But there is an element of fear. And not that I'm trying to like, you know, not let Mary off the hook. But Gabriel says right there, don't be afraid, Mary. There is an element of fear. And of course there is. Because Mary is not married. And you know what happens in that time if you're pregnant out of wedlock? You don't just get judged. You don't get shamed. People don't just give you looks. You get killed. Like they take you outside and they stone you to death. And so as Mary is hearing this holy plan from the angel, she could be thinking to herself, this is scandalous. This seems suicidal. Like, are you sure this is the game plan? Because if Mary starts walking around, not married but pregnant, people will look at her and they won't think, oh yeah, they're virgin birth. Yeah, I read about that back in the Old Testament. There it is, virgin birth. No, they're gonna be thinking dead meat. She's a goner. Someone go find a bunch of stones. Like, that's what people are going to think. And so no wonder Mary is a little bit afraid. But there's not a disbelief. There's a curiosity. How is this going to be? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Take that word overshadow. Go back, look at the Greek. Not to bore you with all that, it means to envelop with a cloud. Imagine Mary just being covered with a cloud. That's the power of God. I can't avoid it. I can't push it away. It's just here to stay. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age, maybe around 75 years old, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And so Mary said back to the angel and just pause right there. I don't want you to miss this. This is it. This is the defining moment because how Mary responds here will shape the rest of human history, will impact the salvation of all of humanity, how she responds right here. Because there's three ways Mary can respond, only three. She can ignore Gabriel, she can argue back at Gabriel, or she can accept what he's saying. That's it. That's what this moment is all about. Are you going to ignore, are you going to argue, or are you going to accept? Because what she says here will shape the rest of human history. This is the moment, and here's what she says. Behold, I am, the serv I am a servant of the Lord. She's not ignoring, she's not arguing, She's accepting. Behold, I accept this. I am the servant of the Lord. And then the next three words say it all. Let it be. Three words. Let it be. 
to me according to your word, and the angel departed from her. If Mary had an old song, it may have been, I'm just a girl. And girls in that time, they were marginalized. There was so little value. That's not right, but that's how it was. Her old song could have been, I'm poor, I'm unimportant, God can't use me. This kind of role, this kind of revival, that's for somebody else. But Mary doesn't sing the old song. Notice here in this moment, she decides, I'm going to sing a new song. And so she says, let it be. And with three words, revival is lit. That's all it took. Three words, let it be. In that context, what let it be means is I surrender. I surrender and I give my entire life to you, Lord, and I put my faith in you alone. That's what it means. Let it be. I surrender all. And Mary says, I surrender all because I am not just some unimportant, young, pregnant girl. She says, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. See, what Mary's new song does, it actually sings of a new identity. What it's singing is that I am a completely surrendered servant of the living God. That is so different from the Christmas songs we sing today. Like, just, just go jump on one of the channels, one of the radio stations. Think about the Christmas songs we all know. Do you know of one Christmas song that is all about being a completely and totally surrendered servant of Christ? There may be one, maybe I don't know it. It's not Santa Baby, I'll tell you that one. Do you guys know that song? Eartha Kitt, you'll see her behind me. This is an older song. You may not know it. No, you do, you do know it. You've heard it thousands of times. It's one of the most sultry Christ, uh, Christian Christmas songs. <laughs> what is the most sultry Christian song? I don't know what that would be. But Christmas, this is it. Listen closely to some of the lyrics that she sings. She says, I've been a good girl, so give me a 54 convertible. Give me a duplex and checks, trips to Tiffany's and a wedding ring. All the guys I haven't kissed, give me my entire Christmas list. And what she's doing there is she's saying, Santa, what you really are to me is a sugar daddy. Like that's who Santa is. And back in that time with Mary, that's how a lot of the Jewish people saw God. He was a sugar daddy. He was an old man that was only good for his gifts. And unfortunately, that's the way some of us still see God today. You got a gift for me. You got a blessing. Not that those things are bad, but is that the only thing God is good for? For Mary, her motive was different. It wasn't to get a gift from God, but to give her life as a gift to God. And so with this total posture of surrender, Mary now makes it over to Elizabeth's house. This strange situation we were talking about, these two pregnant women coming together, 114, 175. And as she gets there, the moment Mary steps into Elizabeth's home, the Holy Spirit comes and fills Elizabeth. It doesn't just rest on Elizabeth, as if I'm gonna come and leave later. It's I'm filling you and you are with me forever. And not only Elizabeth, but it says that the baby, John the Baptist inside Elizabeth, leaps for joy. That's the moment of the Holy Spirit filling John as well. Now you may say, well, how do you know? Maybe it was a gas bubble. Like, well, how do you know that's the Holy Spirit filling John the Baptist just because he leaps for joy? Well, Cody said it last weekend. It's right there in the text. The angel said to Zechariah, your son will be filled with the Holy Spirit before he is born. 
Zachariah is filled, John is filled, Elizabeth is filled. It is a first family of filling in the New Testament. And you want proof that they're filled, Elizabeth immediately gets supernatural wisdom and insight. There's no way she would know this. There's no internet. There's no telephone. There is no way for her to know what's growing inside Mary's womb. But what do we see in verse 43? Elizabeth says to Mary, and why is this granted to me? Why do I get this privilege, this gift that the mother of my Lord, the Messiah, my Savior, put whatever word you want there, of my Lord should come to me. What Elizabeth knows is that Mary is going to give birth to the Messiah they have all been waiting for, to the Lord and to the Savior of the world. She knows it. She can't see anything physically. She wasn't told anything. The Holy Spirit gave her that gift. And then she continues. Look at verse 45. She says this to Mary about Mary. She says, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. That's what Mary did so well. She believed. And so she's saying, Mary, you are blessed because you trusted. You said, let it be. And you have this new song, this song of surrender. And so hearing these words, Mary can't hold back. And she breaks into worship. And the song that Mary sings is called the Magnificat. And what it means is that my soul magnifies the Lord. Now, Cody also brought this up this week. He said to me, isn't it interesting? With Zechariah, he actually sang his song after the blessing came. Well, he was mute, so it makes sense why he didn't. But it's an interesting point. Because Mary sings her song before the blessing, when there's still uncertainty and there's still accusations in the air. She sings before the blessing comes. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of follower of Jesus I want to be. I have such a hard time worshiping God, singing his praises when the uncertainty is still thick, when there's accusations and scandal on my heels when I know that maybe down the road, people aren't gonna be thinking too great of me for one reason or another. But Mary continues to sing her praises to the Lord, even though there's still uncertainty she's gonna to have to wrestle with. The blessing hasn't come yet. And so let's look at the first five verses, first, uh, five verses of this song. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. In other words, my life will help others see the goodness of God even clearer. And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he's looked on the humble estate of his servant. Those words, humble estate, are so important because what it's saying is that Mary's not naive. She's going, listen, this is still gonna be hard. I'm in a humble state here. Like, I'm still pregnant. I'm still poor. I'm still a teenager. Accusations and scandal are still gonna follow me. But she chooses to sing a new song, a song of blessedness, not bitterness. For behold, from now on, generations will call me blessed. For he is mighty, for, who, for he who is mighty has done a great thing for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Isn't that interesting? We surrender to what we fear most. If you go back over your history, ask yourself, when is the last time I surrendered something to someone? There's a good chance that the last time we surrendered to someone or something, that was the thing that we feared the most. I'm not saying it's 100% true all the time, but think, we surrender to what we fear most, and Mary feared God over all else, 
over the accusations, the uncertainties, and she surrendered her entire life to him. See, that was her new song. It wasn't just the Magnificat. We can go to that one passage and say, no, that's, that's Mary's new song right there. It says right there in the title, Mary's song. I would argue and say, I think Mary's song started back at the beginning when she said back to Gabriel, let it be. I think that's the beginning of her song. Because when she said those words, what she said is that, God, I am surrendering my entire life to you. I trust you. You're enough. My soul will magnify the living God. And I know this idea of total surrender, like it's overwhelming. Like if that was your homework today, hey guys, go home this week and I want you to surrender absolutely everything to God. Come back next Sunday and let us know how it went. Like it'd be overwhelming. But what if we said instead, a total surrendered life to Jesus is surrendering one thing to him at a time over a long period of time. Like if we would give ourselves a decade just surrendering one thing after another, after another, over a long period of time, your entire life would be surrendered. And so what is that one thing that you can surrender today that you feel like God is asking you to hand over, to say, let it be? And so I'm gonna invite the worship team to come back up. And as they do, we're gonna start moving into our response time. And that's really the question I want you to start asking is what is the one thing that God is calling me to hand over to him today? And as you begin thinking about it, I mean, get comfortable if you want. Close your eyes, lean back. Give yourself a few moments to think that through. What is the one thing that God is asking you to surrender today? The one thing that you can look at God and say, let it be. I'm gonna trust you with this. Maybe for some of us, it's a habit. It's greed, it's gossip, it's pornography, it's overeating, undereating. It's, it could be anything, but it's a habit you want to break and you wanna surrender it over to God. And maybe that temptation doesn't leave you today, but how do we say, Lord, I want your word, your way to be the priority in this struggle. Or maybe the thing that God has called you to hand over today is your job. It's what you do with your time during the day. Maybe it's your school. And I know for me, mine would be North Star. It's my role here. I feel like he's constantly saying, David, surrender that back over to me. Surrender it. I'm a much better leader than you, David. Surrender it over to me. But it doesn't mean I'm gonna go quit my job tomorrow. Now you may quit your job tomorrow. Maybe what the Lord's calling you to do, I don't know. But how do we make his words and his ways the priority? in that arena of our life. And the next thing is like, think about relationships, friends, parents, kids. Is there somebody in your life that you need to hand over, surrender to God today? They're not changing the way you'd like them to. They're not behaving in a certain way. Parents, I'm not saying go home and stop changing the diaper, stop driving the kids to practices, stop parenting. But how do we make God's words and his ways the priority? in those relationships. You've tried everything else. What is that thing in your life? You just keep thinking, I've tried everything else. I've controlled it, I've manipulated it. I've used my own power and nothing's changing. I feel stuck. 
I feel frustrated. Maybe that's the thing it's time to surrender because surrender was the strategy of Jesus when it came to freedom. He surrendered to the Jews. He surrendered to the Romans. He surrendered on the cross for the sake of freedom. What is it that you are desperate to experience more freedom with? Let's surrender that thing today. So I'm gonna ask you to stand. And for the next 10 minutes, we got 10 more minutes. And here's how we're gonna close. So we're gonna have our prayer teams up here. And whatever that thing is for you today that you'd like to surrender, I encourage you to come up and receive prayer for them. If the thing you're ready to surrender today is your heart, you've never given your life to Jesus, who died on the cross for your sins and rose again to give you life, we'd love to pray with you and talk to you more about that. They'll be communion up as well. And then the worship team is gonna lead us in two songs over the next 10 minutes about surrender. And so in that surrender time, maybe there's a posture you could take. Maybe for some of you, it's just sitting down. Maybe for some of you, it's just lifting your hands like this. For me, I like getting on my knees. This is kind of embarrassing to do this right now. I feel awkward. So I have to surrender what other people are thinking of me. Gotta surrender my knees a little bit. There's just so much more to surrender when there's a posture that we do. Just trying to give you a little handle on how we can step into more of that, more of what God has for us. But as you sing the words of these songs, just that one thing, put that one thing on your mind and sing it to the Lord. Let it be. I surrender all this to you. Let's pray. So Father, we just lift up this time of prayer, of communion, of worship, of reaching for you, Lord. Let it be a time of freedom and peace, strongholds being broken. Lord, would you show us what that one thing is today that you want us to surrender, Lord. It is better in your hands. It is better with you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's worship.